Influencers, inspiration, and Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. This is Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Here's Connor Begley. Welcome to Earned, everyone. Uh, Today, we are going to learn from one of my favorite people, um, as well as the current CMO of Elf Beauty and Keys Soul Care. Although, are you the president at Keys Soul Care, or what is that? That's the title? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, but yes, Corey Marchesoto, thank you so much for joining the show. You have been crushing it for years. I've been a huge admirer of yours. And I think your brand and your team has just performed phenomenally. Uh, number one mass brand we track in terms of growth year over year. So uh, congrats on all the success and what was, you know, a tough year for a lot of people. Thank you. Well, that's quite an introduction. I'm not really sure how to follow that. I, are you sure I'm one of your favorite people or do you say that to all of your guests? Uh, I would say I don't think I've said it to most of my guests. I probably should have. They're going to get mad at me now, but no, I did not. Um, well, th- not everybody is in your clubhouse. I'm in your clubhouse, so you I are. get special treatment. Exactly. Although you are on two strikes, two strikes, uh, <laughs> one more miss and you're out. I am not missing anymore. I don't care. It is priority, Connor. I will be there every Friday. I love it. Um, okay, let's start at the top. I This was a question I haven't done with anybody else, but I really like it. I'm going to ask you, so you're the queen of new platforms in my mind, right? Whether it's TikTok, Twitch, whatever it is, LinkedIn, you're always trying something new. And mm-hmm. I want to know in your mind, is this up, is this down, or is this flat, right? And I think there's a, probably okay. a better word for that, but give me thumbs up, thumbs down, flat, and then maybe a sentence on why. That feel good? Okay, I like it. Okay, Twitch. Up? Okay, why Definitely is up. Okay, so, why is so Twitch So because up? this is a podcast, I'm assuming you, you want voice here, right? So <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the thumbs up and I'll speak. Um, completely exploding audience and moved beyond gaming to general uh, entertainment and interest. There you go. Okay, you were the one of the first. TikTok. <laughs> Definitely growing. Okay. I'm and obsessed. I... I am obsessed too. I am, I am personally addicted. So everybody be careful. It's, it's addicting. It's a real thing. Uh, definitely growing because they've moved beyond Gen Z, even though Gen Z is their core, they are capturing a broader demographic. Okay. YouTube. What are we doing on this one? Flat, stable? Yes. Stable, whatever you want. Stable. And I think it's, it's, it's a great platform. It's been around for a long time and people are chasing the shiny, pretty new toy. Instagram. Tough one, Connor. Um, Putting you on the spot. I, I, I'm going to go with stable. Okay. I think that Instagram has a purpose in the more curated content. So it's, it's stable because people have a certain amount of time allocated to the curation versus other platforms where they just feel freer to post whatever they're feeling in the moment. Okay. LinkedIn. Definitely growing. Okay. Good. Huge fan. And I would say this is probably the most underutilized platform by brands and companies and something that Folks should treat like it's an Instagram or a TikTok or a YouTube. It's super powerful social media network. I agree. I dig it. There are people that kind of shit on it and I don't agree. I think it's awesome. It's different, right? It's different. Yeah. 
I think the, you know, celebrating other people, celebrating their accomplishments, celebrating mm-hmm. what their companies have done. Um, there's just so much power there. I think uh, I was not initially a believer on the content side, um, but I think you said in one of our, one of our chats, like it's just a lot of people there. It's just like a lot of people congregating. And so you should be there. Okay, Snapchat. Growing. Oh. Growing. And, you know, if you look at teen surveys, the last Piper Sandler report still has Snapchat as the number one Gen Z platform. And their growth is now coming from international. So they're gaining mm. a broader audience on a global scale. So I would, I would continue to place my bets on Snap. Okay. Affiliate marketing. Definitely growing. Interesting. Where and yep. why? So I think platforms like Honey and, and you know, that's a, that's a super growth area for us. We see a lot of traction there. I think people like a good deal. Yeah, no, that makes sense, especially if they're supporting a brand that they believe in, right? Because I think that's mm-hmm. where the actual magic happens is not when it's just about making money, but it's about saying like, hey, this person aligns with, you know, what I'm into. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in-person events. Declining. Come on. It's COVID. Are you serious? Well, I'm talking more about the future, <laughs> not like, yeah, Q2. You're not going to do any in-person events. What are you thinking about next year though? Budget. Don't like, you know, don't try to make people feel good. Yes, definitely going to have a rebound. And yep. I think that there's no doubt that people are really missing IRL. And as soon as the levels of comfort rise, we're going to see a lot more events turning back into real world moments. And specifically around entertainment, I spent a lot of time with with entertainment groups, and they were saying that expect ticket sales for concerts and things of that nature to rise in Q3 for the expectation that people will be IRL in Q4. Okay. Yeah. Q4. So Q4 is in real life, big, big events is the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to think what tribes calendar is because we used, we love our, our in-person events too. I don't know what our exact timeline is, but Q4 feels pretty good. Like that feels pretty feels good. Feels good. Okay. Well, let's talk about the next year. So what are you thinking about the next 12 months? How wait a is... minute, wait a minute. Connor, what? we have been, I don't know. Let me see. We're six minutes and 54 seconds in and you have not dropped an elf bomb. We cannot get this party started until you drop an elf bomb on me, Connor. I don't, what is, I don't even know what an elf bomb is. What's an elf How bomb? How do you know me this long and you don't know what an elf bomb is? I don't know. <laughs> I feel embarrassed now. <laughs> so, so you know what an F bomb is? Yes, I do. So now you know what an elf bomb is. An elf bomb is a clever way of dropping F bombs all day without getting in trouble by your boss. Ah. So my personal favorite is why the elf not, but you can ah. use elf bombs any place you would strategically place an F bomb. So let's let's hear you drop one on me. Mm. I am effing pum- or elfing pumped about today's interview. I love it. <laughs> now, now we can get the party started. There you go. I like it. What's funny is I, I, I have had those in communication, particularly via email with people about, I think we were scheduling something and they said like, oh, sorry, I elfed up. I was like, it's cool. Uh, I probably should have figured that out, but uh, now I know. I'm excited.
Yeah, you know, when you're a chief marketing officer, you get to write your own language and you don't get a stare in the office when you drop out bombs all day. So um, <laughs> I'm here for it. And, you know, sometimes you can even go as far as telling people to go off themselves and it's okay. <laughs> that would be so odd in the in work setting. Be like, you know, I go off yourself. You're like, well, it's on brand, <laughs> but I feel like I should be offended. I feel like this is inappropriate at work. <laughs> um, well, actually, let's talk about, let's skip to that then. Let's talk about your journey to Elf. So, you know, for you in looking at your background and looking mm -hmm. at how you got here, there were a few things that were interesting to me, right? So one was, um, you know, you started your career and you were kind of moving up the ladder and then you decided to go back to school. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, did that about 10 years after you, after you graduated um, from undergrad, if I did the math right. Mm -hmm. um, what motivated that? And would that be something that you recommend to other people? Yes and yes. Um, yep. and, and for sure. And then I'll, I'll get to the advice part of it later. So what led to it was wanting to open the aperture. So, mm -hmm. you know, after 10 years in the workplace, you, you know so much. And you're, you've probably chosen an industry, you're in a specific business, and that can take you down a specific path. And I wanted to really widen my knowledge base. Um, and, you know, sometimes you, you think you know what you don't know, but you don't know what you don't know until you go mm -hmm. and you gain exposure and also broaden your network. So, so the first one was really about expansion of the knowledge base. I think the second part was I wanted to accelerate my career. I was in a place where things were going well and I had the progression I was looking for and you know I was definitely on a great path. I didn't have fresh oxygen. I didn't have stimulation. I didn't I no longer had the 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 you know the fresh inputs coming in that I could utilize to then output creative, clever, groundbreaking ideas. So that was a big part of what I thought I could get from going back to my master's. And then you also get surrounded by coaches and mentors and sponsors and you build your skills and you get new tools for your toolbox that you didn't even know that you, that you needed. So I would definitely say it was an accelerator. And then there's unexpected benefits and, and perhaps thinking about it now, because I think I graduated. So it's now over 10 years ago. Um, I got new besties and yep. actually three of my closest friends today were my colleagues in the program. So, you know, there's, there's other great benefits that come along the journey as well. And the advice that I have is gain work experience first, mm. because what you learn in college is so theoretical. And as you're going through the motions in college, it's you, you're, you're kind of imagining, well, what could that be like? Well, you don't even know what the workplace looks like. You don't even know what it means to build a brand or have a business plan or look at a PL. So when you get your master's, I think having the work experience is critical because it's no longer this intangible theoretical thing. When you're talking about a PL, you know what it is, you know what it means. Mm -hmm. So it mm -hmm. completely enhances your skill set to have that on the ground training before you get the advanced education. So I think there's a tremendous benefit to ensuring that you gain the work experience first and then go back and see masters or even higher education from there as yeah. an accelerator. 
So that would definitely be my advice. And then of course, you you get out of it what you put into it. There are folks that went into the same program as I did and, and maybe didn't learn as much or didn't grow as much. So like anything, it's a matter of your own personal commitment. And if you commit to the commitment, then you're going to get the most out of it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've felt that in terms of like, you know, I've done a bunch of, you know, continuing education stuff, right? So there's a bunch of venture capitalists that will hold different programs, whether it's on the creator economy or whatever um, that are designed for, because, you know, one of the problems that you deal with in Silicon Valley is you often have these young founders, companies grow really quickly. And then as it's scaling, you're trying to figure out like how to run a company, how to be a manager, like how to do these things at the same time that your company is going through this crazy growth trajectory. And what I found was, you know, in school, I was just not very stimulated. It just wasn't all that interesting for me. But then, mm -hmm. you know, you go into these programs where it's directly impacting, you know, how you do your work day to day and you just get so much more out of it than I got out of, you know, high school. Right. And yep. so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hundred percent on that, on that boat. So talk to me about, you know, your time at Shiseido, right. Mm -hmm. And then I'd love to hear both. Cause that really, I mean, you were there for a little bit, you rose up the ranks, you really got to kind of the, the top of the organization, I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what was that period of time like one and then mm -hmm. two, you know, what made you decide to make the leap, uh, leap to L cause that was, you know, it's a big leap. Like you had really, you know, uh, set yourself up well within that organization. So I think you described it as a, a, a little bit. I was there for 18 years. So, so let's yeah. call that some young folks now look at like my 18 years at Shiseido as like dinosaur, um, but I wouldn't <laughs> trade any of it for a second. So yeah, Shiseido was my home for 18 years and it was really an extraordinary journey. And I'm still grateful that I had every day, every minute, of learning and growing while while I was there. And, you know, there's there's quite a few things that I learned. And I'd start from, you know, just thinking about what my universe was, right? Here I am working for a Japanese company, but growing up in European luxury brands. So mm -hmm. I would say that the first thing that it taught me was this deep appreciation for cultural differences. Mm. And for the magic that those cultural differences bring to the universe. And I truly learned how to celebrate that uniqueness of each of those cultures and how it made the world more layered, more complex, and quite honestly, much more beautiful and dynamic. Mm -hmm. So that's the sort of overarching piece. And it, it took a while to get there because there can be cultural barriers. There can be cultural friction. And if you figure out how to get past that, by celebrating the differences and the nuances, then the world just becomes this incredible place and your relationships in business really grow and flourish because of this respect and appreciation for each other's culture. And then I would say for the most part, I was on French uh, luxury brands and also European luxury brands and working in luxury is a, a masterclass in rigor, discipline, and attention to detail. And those are critical things for the backbone of a marketer, for sure. Um, but even a business builder and a brand builder, 
So when I think about some of the, the brands that I worked on and, and their ethos, and, and a lot of them are really, they start as a vision and, and a philosophy. And I think if you know the brands I worked on and what I learned from them, it starts to explain who I am today. So mm-hmm. I'll start, for example, with Jean-Paul Gaultier, which was one of my first brands when I was a brand manager. And Jean-Paul is the ultimate anti-conformist. He taught me how to be a badass. His motto was, and why not? <laughs> so, you know, what, what more, what more can, can you say? You know, he, the world was going right. He wanted to go left. So I really learned something important about breaking with codes and conventions and, and blazing a new trail. I also spent a very large part of my career working on air mess. And if you cut me here, you would see orange blood coming out of my veins. <laughs> um, and Hermes really taught me about the seamless blending of heritage and modernity and the art of captivating and compelling storytelling. And anyone building a brand needs to understand the power of storytelling. And if you think about how I was able to bring that magic to Elf and unleash this incredible story that we had in our treasure chest, a lot of it came from the learnings that, that I had uh, working on that brand. And then I think about Burberry, which is a brand I also spent a bunch of years on. And from working on the Burberry brand, I really learned about creating cultural mindsets. And this is a whole different learning because at Burberry, for example, digital domination, sustainability, they were intrinsically embedded in the culture And it was more like oxygen and water than spreadsheets and KPIs. Hmm. And that's a very powerful lesson when you're trying to build a company or instill a mindset within an organization. And then I would say the other brand, and I worked on lots of other brands, so I don't want any of the the, the babies that I worked on (laughs) through the years to get upset, but I could do this all day. So I'll finish with the one that is the bridge to where I am today, which was Isimiyaki. And I spent 15 years working on, on this brand and Isimiyaki is Japanese, uh, but we were working on the, the, the French fragrances and he was a true visionary. And what I learned from Isimiyaki is only be interested in what you do not know. Hmm. And the more and more I thought about that, the more and more I realized that I had spent all this time growing up, reinforcing the things I already knew luxury, you know, European designers and the beauty space in one particular sector, which quite honestly was exclusionary because Mm -hmm. you're talking to a small audience who can afford this expensive luxury product. So when I had spent a little bit of time um, in Tokyo, uh, Isimiyaki had a design studio that he calls 2121. And the idea of 2121 is that Perfect vision is 2020. And to be an innovator, you have to see beyond that. Mm, And I left that that trip feeling like I needed to do something different and I needed to innovate myself. And I wanted to get into a space that I didn't know. I wanted to get into a new dimension. So I thought, how do I take my luxury experience, this rigor, this discipline, this brand building expertise and bring it to the mass space where I could open the aperture and talk to a much wider audience. 
And when you think about what ELF is, um, it's truly this exceptional idea of pulling the codes and cues from luxury, but making them available to a very wide audience. So it was really the perfect bridge for me um, where I could take that 20 year skill set and, and bring it to a new dimension. And the other part for me was I had spent my entire career, because before Shiseido, I was with LVMH and, and the Pooj Group. I spent my entire career at big corporations. So I wanted to also see the other side. It wasn't just going from prestige to mass. It was also going from the rigid corporate hierarchical bureaucratic structure to something that felt like a true entrepreneurial shift. So a, a very big shift in culture as well. Yeah. I mean, that's, you're changing on multiple dimensions there. I mean, and one mm -hmm. of the dimensions that you, you kind of briefly touched on that I would love to kind of understand a little bit better, just because I know you is, you know, John and I, we've, we, I've done a few trips to, you know, Japan as well, right? We have some clients mm -hmm. out there and you know, I learned a little bit, right? Not nearly as much as you, but a little bit about the Japanese culture. And I think, um, you know, they're kind of, they, they spend significantly more time on the planning side, right? Like mm -hmm. it's kind of spend tons of time on planning. And then when you execute, you execute it's like boom, 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 boom. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about that for me is, you know, when we set up this clubhouse, like it's one of my favorite stories about, about you <laughs> is, you know, for those who don't know, I scheduled this call with Corey on like a Monday for a call on Wednesday or something. We took a little bit of time to schedule, to schedule it. And it was you, me and Joe. Uh, the CEO at Youth to the People, and you guys were both late. I was on time. And <laughs> we, so I'm like, I'm annoyed. I'm like, you know what, guys, I'll send a doc around. We'll schedule it next week. And you're like, no, 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 no. We're here. Let's do it. We'll do it now. And we started talking about it. You're like, we could, we could have the clubhouse today. We could do it right after this call. I'm like, no, like what, what? Like, and so we, we ended up deciding to do it on Friday. And this was on a Wednesday. My team almost killed me because I was like, we got to send out an email. We got to do this. It like totally disrupted our marketing calendar. Like they were, none of them yeah. was happy. But anyways, what was surprising or what was really cool about that to me was this like this urgency, this, um, you know, this bias towards action that you had, like that was so cool to see. Right. And then to do it and it went well, and we've done it every week since and whatever. Um, and that just seems very at odds, right. With the Japanese culture, of like, mm -hmm. you know, lots of planning and then very <laughs> efficient execution, right? So talk, yeah. talk to me about that. Like, how did you balance that, um, number one? And then number two, where did this kind of uh, bias towards action and this mm -hmm. sense of urgency, um, mm -hmm. when did that kind of come into your, your, your toolbox, right? When did that become something that was, uh, you decided was important? Um, yeah, you know, it's it's really funny, Connor, because it's always been there. It's yep. just been, you know, Sisyphus pushing the boulder uphill in my previous life versus at Elf, I say it, it happens. Yep. So it's 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 really a, a, a it's really extraordinary, actually. So if I go back to uh, my journey in my luxury days, especially in the French luxury houses, that my nickname was actually Emergency Corey. Everybody at our mess called me Emergency Corey. I'm not even making this up because I, I would, I would always be. Now you can imagine our mess is 175 year old heritage house. Just I think 160 some odd years. Right, 
I'm, I'm, I'm working in organizations that were built through exactly what you're talking about, rigor, discipline, long time tables, lots of thinking and yeah. uh, laying foundation and groundwork. And all of that is important and, and definitely necessary. What was missing was the bias for action. So I always came in like, like a lightning bolt, which is what our CEO at Elf uh, Tarangamine calls me. Um, so whether it was emergency Corey or lightning bolt, you, you get the idea. I've always had this bias for action because I understand the importance of the now. And if you dream it, you have to do it. And a dream without execution is, is, is empty. It's just a dream. Mm -hmm. And if you wait too long, the moment has passed. Timing matters. Yeah. So, right. you know, I've, I've, I've always had the bias for action. It's been incredibly frustrating throughout my career that I couldn't necessarily get everybody on board. So I spent a lot of time persuading, convincing, being relentless, a dog with a bone, never stopping, having the tenacity versus when I got to Elf, I, I actually got nervous because I would say something and then teams <laughs> would assemble and be driving things forward. And I'm like, wait, 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 hold on. So wait, 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 it actually works. I didn't think like that would I actually say. happen that fast. <laughs> I'm not used to this. <laughs> um, so, you know, and if you wait too long, it kills the dream. And I think the other part, Connor, is usually when you have that, that dream and that fire in the belly to move something forward, if you have to start pushing paper around, if you have to start presenting it to multiple stakeholders, if you have to start driving it up and then everybody wants their comments and they have to put their ego stamp on it, by the time you're able to bring that dream to reality, one, it looks very different. Yep. Two, you've lost your passion for it. Yep. And three, quite honestly, the timing has passed. And when I think about Elf and what we were able to do on TikTok, on Twitch, and you know, even us jumping into Clubhouse and, and being early adopters, it, it matters. Yep. And that timing gave us a real competitive advantage. And if I think about COVID, you know, how grateful am I that we spent so much time before we even knew COVID existed on building our digital strength at speed? Because when COVID hit, we were already entering from a position of strength where yeah. others were scrambling to try to figure out, how do I get on TikTok? Because now everybody's on TikTok and everybody's on their phones and we haven't figured out how to get digital yet. So emergency Corey, the lightning bolt, you know, lucky that we had that bias for action to drive all that stuff forward at Elf. We, we, at Elf, we call it Elf Speed. Elf Speed is a real thing, Connor. <laughs> it is a, a real thing. If you, um, there's a really good, his name's Frank Slootman. He's the CEO of a company called Snowflake, Snowflake which mm -hmm. uh, I think just got valued at somewhere like $80 billion or something like that. And this is, you know, only a few years after, you know, founding the company. This is not very far after. And he's done this with three different companies now. So he's taken three different companies from essentially zero to billions of dollars in revenue. Um, and it's like, it's kind of crazy. And he talks about this speed concept and this bias towards action and how he's like, there's just so much slack in the organization. You can go so much faster than you think you can. Um, and so I want to, I actually want to talk about this a little bit more. So the, and, and the phrase I really like that kind of encapsulates that is, I can't remember exactly who it is. I think it's Naval, uh, the, the, you know, startup guru guy, but he says inspiration mm -hmm. is perishable, right? Which is what mm -hmm. you're talking about, which is like yeah. get inspired. And then you run into paperwork, you run into this and all of a sudden it's not inspiring anymore. And yeah. so, um, 
But what I want to talk about is a slightly different angle, which is I am the exact same way, which is why that meeting caught me off guard. Cause I was like, Oh my yeah. God, that's somebody moving faster than me. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, Oh, this is, this is so weird. I'm not used to this. And so um, one of the things that's interesting for me when I reflect on our time at tribe is I think I had <clears throat> fairly unfettered uh, control over action. And, mm -hmm. and in some ways, you know, we got to a point about three years ago and I was telling you about this right before the podcast where, you know, we had three different product lines and we were kind of mm -hmm. doing it all okay. And we were just, you know, a little bit distracted. And so we decided to focus, right. And we cut out mm -hmm. two out of the three product lines and it's had just dramatic positive impacts on the business. Mm -hmm. So how mm -hmm. do you think about kind of balancing this bias towards action, towards newness, and focus like how do you think about those things and have you ever have you have you gone too far at some point you know now mm -hmm. that you have full control or or have you mm -hmm. you kind of managed that pretty well well i think the when i think about why elf right now is thriving in a down industry and posting double digit growth in env and in all other key metrics when the industry is down it's because of that bias for action, Connor. It's it's also because of fearlessness, mm -hmm. and that what you're you know talking about inspiration is perishable. That fire burns really hot, and we we take that fire for that inspiration, innovation, and we put it out at speed, and that is really what makes Elf very different. And even mm -hmm. if some of the big companies woke up tomorrow morning and said, we want to move as fast as Elf. You can't. You, you, you'd have to rework your entire organization. You'd have to get rid of layers and levels and processes. Well, the problem is your, your company, you know, your culture attracts the people, right? And it self-selects yeah. the people. So the people exactly. that have opted into that culture are like, you know, more comfortable with that approach. And alternatively, mm -hmm. you know, like Netflix is really famous for saying this, like, you know, people they opt out, right? Like we, they That's give, right. I think it's they that give a bonus. Like you get a, you get like a 10 K check. If you get signed on and you decide to leave within two weeks, like you can just mm -hmm. get a check and they're like, good luck. Right. Like you can leave at any yeah. time. So um, anyways, keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. It's, 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 it's not for everybody. So, so I would go back to the keyword, which you said is, is balance. Mm -hmm. When you work in an organization at speed, what you have to learn how to balance is chaos and structure. You need chaos. You cannot move at speed without a healthy level of chaos, but too much chaos makes a mess at the end. So you have to find the right balance. How do I wrap a little bit of structure around this so that we can keep it moving very efficiently? So that one is a key balance. The other one is exactly what you said. How do you balance all of these innovative ideas and prioritization and focus? And that's definitely not so easy to do in the beauty space where you have a lot of consumers who are drawn to newness and especially when you're a trend-driven brand. So what we were able to do is identify what are those big bets? What are, what are those key items that we think are really gonna have a big difference in the lives of our consumers and bring them the highest level of, of, of positivity in uh, in their makeup journey throughout the day or their skincare or whatever it is they're trying to accomplish with their regimens and make sure that we are effectively putting the energy and the resources behind what it takes to get those big bets to really fly and soar. So balance is critical. You don't always get it right. 
So yeah. I think it's it's an iterative process to find the right balance. Sometimes you put too much cold water on the hot coals and then you have to re reflame them up, right? To make people run faster. Um, sometimes you you create oh, mayhem and chaos because yep, you're, yep. you have too many ideas overflowing. And so, so I think you have to think about it as an iterative process and you have to constantly optimize. So I think as leaders that comes from constant reflection and thinking about, okay, well, how did, how did that go? What do I need to rebalance tomorrow? How do I iterate and get things back on track? And then you just constantly make those modifications. It's, it's small modifications every day in a culture with a bias for action versus a rear view mirror six months down the road. Totally. Yeah. I mean, i I know for me, you know, I've found that from a managing myself perspective, because I can, you know, get too hot and then I can, I don't typically get too cold, but I can get too hot where it's like, I'm just overcommitted, right? I've got too much going on because I've got too much going on. I can't commit to doing the things that I need to do well, right? And, or mm -hmm. I just start to, your personal life starts to break down, right? Where you're just not spending time with loved ones or whatever it is. And so it's kind of funny because I've found, like you said, you just kind of regulate it, right? You let a little steam off, you put a little mm -hmm. on, you just find, you, you fine tune it. What, but yeah. I don't, I think that's something that's taken me time. Like in my early twenties, that was not something that I, that kind of regulation was not something that I could do. And mm -hmm. so um, doing that organizationally, I think is a super, it, it's just a superpower, right? To be able to do that with people and to balance, you know, expectations and to balance egos and to balance, um, uh, ambitions, right. All of these things, uh, mm -hmm. while it's just, it's tough. So my hat's off to you. Um, <laughs> so, so I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you mentioned in there, um, uh, uh products, right. And focus mm -hmm. on, um, focus on like big initiatives, big yep. bets, and, you know, one of the things that we notice now that we're 30 minutes in, we should probably talk about influencers since that's why, mm -hmm. you know, people listen to tribe. So one of the things that we've noticed is that, you know, influencers are actually really hero product driven. So mm -hmm. for Elf, you know, your 16 hour camo concealer was mm -hmm. close to 20% of all the content we tracked on you guys yep. last year. And I think that was similar with like Laura Mercier. I can't remember which product it was, but it was like almost 30% of all their coverage. So how do you think about, because I think most people tend to focus on influencers and like newness. It's like new, 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 but like mm -hmm. that may not be what's driving the core. How do you think about the interaction of, of hero products and your influencer community? What's, what's your approach there that's, that's gone so well? So, you know, yes, everybody wants to chase the shiny, pretty new toy. Yep. And that, that's, that's a very serious impulse that you have to think about that it's a small part of the story. So mm -hmm. sometimes what happens with brands is they make it the whole story and everything's about the shiny, pretty new toy. Yep. What, what we like to do and our philosophy at ELF is how do I use the shiny, pretty new toy to shine a spotlight back on the core collection? So mm -hmm. if you think about a makeup regimen, almost all regimens have a concealer and a primer mm -hmm. involved. So we make sure that our heroes which is the Camo franchise and the Poreless Putty Primer franchise are at the center of everything we do. Mm -hmm. If we're gonna introduce a new makeup palette, great. You've got, you still have to start with your concealer and your primer. Yep. 
So what, what we like to do is, you know, when we see the, what we call the holy grails, you call them heroes, we call them holy grails, is we make sure that those have constant fuel and energy and that this excitement around new is great. We need the excitement around new absolutely spills over back into the core collection with everybody reminding about our, our base business. And that's a critical component of, of what we do. And the truth with something like a camo concealer is it's universal. We have an incredibly inclusive shade range. It's a high performance concealer at a jaw dropping value. So it's always on. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with, with, with our putty primer. It's always on. So we have our holy grails that we call always on. And then we infuse newness throughout the year to ensure that we're getting the spotlight and, and the buzz and the excitement. You know, it's actually kind of an interesting departure, that idea of the holy grail skews or individual product lines, because I feel like that's actually a pretty big departure from, you know, I feel like the approach historically was more of a portfolio approach, which is like, it's about Lancome and then Lancome has a Mm -hmm. bunch of different products, but you're like a Lancome person. And now Mm -hmm. it's like, no, no, no. I have one product from this brand and 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 this brand. And, And, you know, people are just much more hero product loyal rather than, than uh, brand loyal. um, Mm -hmm. Um, well, let's, let's talk about influencers a little bit more. So what are your, mm-hmm. kind of, in terms of general philosophies, I mean, if you were to look at the data over the last uh, several years, uh, ELF, I mean, ELF was really, I think, founded, or not founded, I should say, before you got there, they were very influencer focused, and that seemed yeah. to wane a little bit. And I think you came back, and um, the performance has just been super impressive over the last few mm-hmm. years. What do you think are some of the core philosophies that drove that rise in the rankings uh, to where you guys are now? So I think the the first one is very easy for me to think about is influencers are not KPIs, they're people. Yep. And they're friends of your brand. So really treating it like the relationship that it should be. And these are these are our friends. These are friends of our brand. They advocate on our behalf. They they love what we have to offer. They we created something they want to be a part of. So Nurturing the relationship is really the most important part. And I think you can measure the success of a brand by the depth of their relationships. And one of the things that I'm sure you noticed with Elf, which is very different than a lot of the other brands, is we never played the mega influencer game. So for us, it was never about go after the person who has the highest level of fame and you know, the biggest number of followers. What we knew with Elf is this this brand, I, I like to say, is of the people, by the people, for the people. And for us, it was a micro-influencer approach. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I saw early on that I thought was incredible when we were doing our Beautyscape initiative, which is our annual tent pole where we use our platform to rise up emerging influencers, is they all wrote, a sort of essay about their love affair with Elf. And what I kept seeing coming up over and over and over and over was when I couldn't enter into the beauty space because it was too expensive, Elf was there for me. Mm -hmm. And when you think about the power of that 
everybody remembered their first experience for, uh, with Elf because it opened the door to a world they couldn't otherwise have access to. That's really powerful. So that emotional connection to our brand, and even if one day they graduated to a Lancome or you know a Tom Ford, you know, or or whatever they may have traded up to at some point, they still have Elf brushes, and they still have a love for the Elf brand that they'll always come back to. So I think there's you have to understand what's special about your brand, what's the draw, what's the love affair, what's that connection. And then you have to nourish that and be honest with yourself about it because you, you want to be authentic. And that's something that for us has always been that relationship back, that generosity on both sides. Some brands treat influencers as a transaction. Mm -hmm. That's that's not who we are or what we do. So for Nor us, is it the it's the right approach, frankly. Right. Um, right. So, yeah. Yeah, no. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, no. I mean, I you know, I think I think it, it it's always going to come back to the same place, which is which is that fundamental relationship and making sure that you're constantly giving your community what it is that they want to see from your brand. And that's another thing that I love about Elf is we we never created Elf as this vision of something that you need to aspire to enter into which is what a lot of brands do. We constantly iterate Elf to give our community more of what they want to see from us. We let them determine what our superpowers are. And then we lean into those superpowers, not the ones that we think are our strengths that we want to lean in on, the ones they think. And so we're constantly having those dialogues with our community and with our influencer community and using our platform to rise up the emerging artists who wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity to have a platform that big to put their voice on. So I think that's the way we've made those depths of connections. We've built those enduring relationships and we created an orbit that people want to be a part of. I mean, I just love when I, I mean, obviously I, you know, there's some self-selection here where I, uh, I, I hate, associate myself with people with similar worldviews, but it's great when mm -hmm. like, you know, we see the numbers, right. And then we hear the philosophies and they're just very aligned with what we, we see and what we recommend. Mm -hmm. So it's just really cool. This is really cool. Um, well, let's talk about, I can't believe we're this far in and we haven't talked about keys. I'm in trouble <laughs> for sure. Um, so, uh, let's talk about it. I want to know one, yeah. how's it going, right? Tell me about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Two, you know, what has been different, you know, obviously you've marketed skincare in the past, but yep. you know, what's different today than it was in the past? Mm -hmm. Cause it's been a few mm -hmm. years. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, and then ultimately from an influencer perspective, cause that is mm -hmm. what a lot of people are going to tune in for. What are some of the differences there specifically? Um, mm -hmm. would love to dive in on that and you can, you know, let's go for it. I want to talk about keys. Yeah. Um, so, so let's start on makeup skincare. Cause I think that's, yep. that's a great question in terms of, you know, a, a lot of people think beauty as this one thing. Blob. And it's, it's, a it's, blob. Really, it's really not. <laughs> no, right? so I can it's, tell it's you really coming not. in as not being a beauty guy <laughs> when I started this, I was just like, oh, beauty. Yep, that's just it all, the whole thing. <laughs> and now it's like, whoa, no, no, no. There's huge yep. differences between the categories. Huge differences. Yeah. And I always like to 
simplify things um, to, to really make it easy to understand. So the way I like to think about makeup consumers is they're driven by impulse and they wanna be inspired, Okay. right? So impulse and inspiration. They want fun, they want experimentation, they want the latest trends. That's makeup. Skincare consumers are driven by efficacy and education. That is very different than impulse and inspiration. Quite a bit. So when you think about efficacy and education, right? what are these folks looking for? Well, they want health and wellness benefits. They wanna know the latest science. They wanna know the ingredients. So by definition, you have to build these things very differently. So, you know, I think sometimes people make mistakes and they think, well, I can just take my makeup formula and put it into my skincare and that's going to work, right? And my response is, no, it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. <laughs> because fundamentally, even if it's the same person, you have a very different motivation when shopping for one over the other. When we set out to create Keys Soul Care, um, initially, we actually set out to create a skincare brand. That was our intention from the beginning based on Alicia's own skincare journey and, and, and the insecurities that she had with her own skin and, and the journey that she was, she was on specifically. And after we spent a little bit of time with her, we realized that she had so much more light to shine. She had so much more power that we can actually redefine what beauty is and how people interact with it. So I would say key soul care is a philosophy. It's a mindset. It's a lifestyle that's inspired by Alicia's essence. So she has said that her mission is to be a warrior of light because there's enough darkness in the world. So we built a community of light workers. I am a light worker and I am here to radiate that light, to bring that light to the darkness. So our light workers, AKA influencers, mm -hmm. they shine with optimism and they set an intention to use their light to uplift others. So the influence, when you think about key soul care is about inspiration, empowerment, and keys to your highest vision, whatever that vision is. So when we think about beauty, to really be beautiful, you have to be beautiful inside here first. And you have to care for yourself. And when Alicia went on her own journey with her skin, she recognized very quickly it wasn't topical. She wasn't okay in here. And as she worked through all of those things, then everything started to clear up all around her. So our light workers are extraordinary beings who come and we create beautiful content that talks about, you know, sex is soul care, right? That's something that is intimate and personal and, and brings something specific. Sleep care is soul care. How am I taking myself at night? How I eat is soul care. Mm -hmm. So we are constantly bringing to light beautiful individuals who are here to help others become a better version of themselves. And, you know, being on that journey and recognizing the true purpose and, and value of what you can bring to others and how you can take this incredible light that Alicia is and shine it brighter by radiating it through a community of light workers, 
it's so powerful. And people want to sign up to be a light worker. They want to tell us about other light workers in their lives. And if you spend time, whether you go to our website, which is both a content and a commerce hub, or you go to any one of our social channels, it's a very different place. Mm-hmm. People write, okay. they don't write comments, they write paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> paragraphs. I've never seen this happen before, right? These are yep. deep conversations that people want to have. So by introducing this idea of soul care, we really changed the conversation about what beauty is, what beauty means, and, and how you obtain it. So it's, it's truly an extraordinary, extraordinary ride. That's super exciting. I love the vision there. And I think you, know, you talk about this kind of shining a light concept. That's actually how I've always thought about the internet. And I think that's part of what gets me the most inspired about the internet, right? Mm. Is that it's shining a light on like, you know, it's like, a, it's like a cave, right? Where you had no light and then you get to learn all of these things. It's like, I get mm-hmm. to, because of Yelp, I get to find this really cool restaurant down the street that's yeah. in the, you know, has a terrible sign it has like the best, you know, pho <laughs> in the town, in, in the city. Right. And so, or, you know, from a product perspective, it's like, I can imagine, you know, like drunk elephant, the brand if that came around 25 mm-hmm. years ago, somebody saw on the shelf, like drunk elephant, like, what is this? Right. And like, right. you know, but now I can see that. Like, That's interesting. And I can Google it and watch a video of what somebody says about it. And I can read all the reviews and I can like, mm-hmm. and so it just helps you to figure out what's really good in the world as well as like, oh, you know, this one actually, there's a lot of advertising behind it, but it's not really worth it, right? Like there's mm-hmm. something else that's better out there. And so mm-hmm. I've just liked that it, you know, it improves people's lives, both through mm-hmm. education, through, you know, obviously from a product perspective, like getting the things you're looking for. Mm-hmm. I just love it. So I love that analogy. Um, well, let's go through a couple fun end of show questions. That's how we always okay. finish off. And these were okay. not from me. So if they're dumb questions, you can blame Jason who's on our <laughs> podcast. Who is uh, a, you brought him onto the show. And so you can okay. uh, take it up with him if you don't like him. But the, mm-hmm. uh, I like them. I do like them as well. So the first one, he, he says you have a good story on how did you make your first dollar? How did I make my first dollar? So like my first dollar for real? I guess or so. Like I, my, I assume like this was like first, an inside joke between you two. I have no, no idea or, where this question like came from. Job I would assume your first job. Things. I would okay. assume your first job. Okay. My first job was in a bagel store. Okay. And the bagel store was called Bagelicious. Nice. And yep. And you can imagine how busy the bagel shop is on Saturdays and Sundays. Yep. So, you know, this is, this is a great place to work when you're a teenager so it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of young kids working behind the counter. So it was actually a really great job and I loved it. And one Sunday they put me on the egg station, which is really stressful because now I have to make omelets, right? Like this okay. is really stressful. Big step up, next level. Like, this, this is like huge. So right, right? I'm at the quarter, omelet. quarter hour, like a 25 cent hourly pay bump for that jump. Uh, keep going though, yeah. So, so I'm at the omelet station. I'm sweating. Like somebody's like, can I get a Western omelet? And I'm like, oh my God, what's in a Western omelet, right? I'm like freaking out. I'm running all over the place. And then of course, you know, with that, they want the bagel and the coffee. And so, so you're just running all over the place. It's total chaos in your head. And I went to go to the coffee station. I had, I had my omelet ready, my bagel. Now I'm getting the coffee. And you know, those coffee pots that sit on the hot 
yeah. uh, the hot burners. They're very thin glass. So mm. when I went to put the coffee pot back, I actually hit it on the other coffee pot and it oh, broke. Oh God. Yeah, hot coffee everywhere okay. too. So now I got hot coffee everywhere. It was like the most stressful day I have ever had. I get through the whole day. I clean things up. I serve the customers, right? End of day, my boss calls me into his office in the back of the, of the bagel shop. And he said, uh, we need to talk. I said, what's going on? And I'm thinking, oh my God, like, like, like he's never going to put me on the omelet station again, you know? And he's like, you broke the coffee pot. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm so sorry. But, you know, I got it cleaned up super fast and I was able to get back around the day and, and I didn't miss a beat with the consumers. And he said, no, that's okay. But I just want you to know I'm docking your pay for the cost of the pot. Like $3 or whatever. <laughs> and in that moment, I mean, the surge of rage <laughs> I felt after this really difficult day. Um, so I told him to go elf himself and I quit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so funny. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that's that was my, I worked retail was, as a, you know, as a young teen and, uh, yeah. but nobody ever docked my pay. Um, could you imagine? I was so furious. You're probably like and, minimum wage. Like you were, of course. yeah, that's pretty messed up. Yeah. That's pretty messed up. Oh, is the bagel shop yeah. still around? The bagel shop is still around. Still the mm. same owners too. Imagine that. They probably don't even remember this story. If they ever listen to your podcast, they're not even going to have a clue. <laughs> yeah. You were such a blip on their radar. It's just like yeah. this life defining moment for you. And then for them, it's just uh, nothing. <laughs> like, yeah. but, but you know, it's funny because it, it all teaches you something, right? Yeah. And when I thought about that, what what I needed as the employee at the end of that day was a little bit of encouragement. Yeah, yeah. Right, at a really tough day, I, I actually did a great job. It was like my first day on the egg station. And when, when you see that kind of, um, you know, response, you know, you think to yourself as a leader, you have to think about, well, what, it, what is it that you need from me right now? And, mm -hmm. you know, had he addressed the broken coffee pot with me a week later, I probably still would have been pissed, but yeah, okay. You know, you gotta let it. I mean, the, uh, what that brings to mind for me was when we first started tribe, we were super young, right? So I was 24, you know, pretty young. And, um, you know, all of a sudden we've got this big team we're managing. I've never managed anybody before. So you're kind of figuring it out on the fly. And, you know, and I would kind of speak off the cuff, right? Because I'm, you know, I'm elfin, I'm yeah. moving, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and then it would create all these problems, right? Because I would say stuff without really being thoughtful or nothing like bad, but just like would cause misdirection or all of a sudden they'd start, they'd think that priorities should shift because I was like, oh, you know, because I like to verbally work through ideas. I'll kind of throw it out there, see what you get, and then like kind of go back yeah. and forth. And that's one of the ways I like to vet ideas. When you're doing that with somebody who is, you know, you know, a level or two or three down, you like, mm -hmm. you, uh, it's just a, that power dynamic is super important, right? They like, yeah. it's very, very different. They perceive it very differently than you do. Yeah. And so being conscientious about that, like, I remember, this is my story where I was like, no, I'm probably not going to work here. My first job at, was at, or first job out of school was this company called, uh, well, doesn't matter. Um, 
And I started as an intern. This is right after the financial crisis. I'd actually left another mm -hmm. company. I got two offers, one to this one, even though I was only making $15 an hour because the company was growing like mm -hmm. a rocket ship, right? It was a tech company. And so started as an intern and then, you know, ended up becoming the first account manager, then was, you know, the lead salesperson and then whatever, on down the list. But I remember mm -hmm. this one Saturday, they're like, hey, you know, uh, uh, we want you to just call some of our customers. This was early on, like call some people. These are all people that are paying us $200 a year. See if you can, you know, see if they'd be interested in any of the other stuff that we have. Mm -hmm. So I've got this list and I'm, you know, ready. And I remember going into that day on Friday, the CEO walks up to me. He's like, hey, don't get too drunk tonight. It was like really serious about it. And I was like 22 mm -hmm. years old. I was like, yeah. Okay. And it just felt like such a dick comment and he'll never remember that. But for me, I was like, you know, have like a little bit of faith in me here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. and of course, then I wake up and I'm like, I'm going to crush this goddamn list. And I like, you know, <laughs> I ended up generating yeah. a shitload mm -hmm. of revenue and they're like, whoa, like this guy's good. And then like, that was a, <laughs> that was an early part of my, but it had a really yeah. big impact on my view of him, on my view of the company. And it's just mm -hmm. like a little comment, you know, and it just irked me. Um, yeah. So anyways. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny because you realize that there's a very big difference between what people say and what you hear. Yeah, totally. Uh, and as, as you grow as a leader, you recognize the importance of the nuance between those two things. And all of that also has to do with circumstantial. What moment are we in? What happened? Right. And I think the best leaders are always thinking in their minds about what is it that you need from me right now? Yeah. I'm not that good at it. I'm too, I'm still too self-centered. I'm trying, I'm trying really hard, <laughs> but I'm just still not as good as you are at it. It's going to take another 10 years. Um, and, but anyways, with that, I've taken up too much of your time already. I really appreciate you taking the call so late on a Tuesday. And um, I will see you on Friday, um, you know, two strikes. Don't forget. Um, there will and, not be a third strike, Connor. There will not be a third strike, I but promise. Honestly, congrats on all your success. It's been so cool to watch you've done, what you've done over the last few years and to watch the success of Soul Care or Keys. Um, it's just really cool. It's super fun to see, um, you know, somebody that you respect to do really well. So congrats on all that. It's, uh, it's been awesome. Thank you. And ditto. I mean, you're having a moment too, and I'm super excited to see you shine and your business thrive. So We're I'm also super excited to, you know, to be buddies with you in the clubhouse. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So thanks for having me and uh, for creating this podcast where we can all learn and grow together. Of course, of course. All right. Bye, Corey. Ciao. Hit subscribe now earned by Tribe Dynamics. Tribe Dynamics unlocks your social media influencer community. Our platform not only tracks and measures your best influencer relationships, but discovers new influencers to grow your business through earned media. Get started with a demo today at tribedynamics.com. tribedynamics.com.